Hello everyone. I'm hoping our Becoming Great series is not what you expect. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, we began a new series last week titled, Becoming Great, Serve. I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon if you missed it. You know, it's so easy for us to envision a servant as a doer, the deeds one performs for others. Now, that, that is certainly a part of the equation, but that's not our main objective in this series. We're trying to develop a mindset of being. This is about who we are becoming, not what we do. This is about that which brings joy and satisfaction and happiness by being a servant. We are developing Christ-like characteristics on our way to becoming a servant formed in the image of Jesus. And in preparation for today's sermon titled Sacrifice, I've been reading stories of individuals who sacrifice their own lives to save or protect the life of another. And often, which is, un which is unusual, that person was a total stranger. So over and over, stories of courage and selflessness and extraordinary acts of bravery, I couldn't quit reading them from the past and thinking about the passages even Jesus quoted in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I'll give you a recent example, which many of you will probably remember. In 2012, James Holmes walked into a midnight showing of The Dark Night Rises in Aurora, Colorado, and opened fire in the theater. How many of you remember that tragedy? Yeah, 12 people were killed, and another 70 were injured. When the shooting began, three boyfriends in different parts of the theater instinctively put their girlfriends on the floor, leapt to cover them, shielding them from harm with their bodies, and thereby saving their girlfriends at the cost of their own lives. All three of these young men were in their 20s. And I have always wondered, would I do the same? When the time came and I was placed in a situation which demanded a choice, would I give my life for another? Now, I know I would for my family, but for you? For a total stranger? I hope I would. I pray I would have the courage to do so. But no one knows, not, not really, not until one is faced with that choice to make. But is this not what Jesus is calling us to do? Are we not to give up our lives for the sake of others? Did Jesus not leave us an example of self-sacrifice? Are we not to take up our cross and to follow him, to deny ourselves so the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal bodies? According to Jesus, becoming a great servant demands living a sacrificial life, does it not? Listen to this verse. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's Matthew 10, 37 through 39. But how many of us feel the tension between a self-sacrificing life and a self-preserving life? 
I mean, how difficult is it to deny one's own desires and impulses? And, and don't get me wrong. Listen, self-preservation is not a bad thing. In fact, it's, it's a good thing. We're made in the likeness of God. And we are to take care of our bodies. And, and if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> we're kind of surrounded by a culture designed for safety. I mean, right? I mean, we've got safety belts, safety seats. We've got safety rules. And when we think about it, I mean, we all wash our hands, don't we? Why? For safety, to remove the germs, which could cause us harm. We also tie our shoes. Why? So we don't trip and fall. All right, one more. And we all lock our doors at night. Why? To protect that which we value the most, our family. We do these things to keep ourselves safe and healthy. In Ephesians 5, verse 29, Paul assumes that no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. See, self-preservation is not a bad thing. In fact, when, when men and women act heroically despite a certain danger to themselves, we're, we're not saying they don't care about their own lives. Of course. Of course they care about their lives. But what we celebrate is that they valued something more than their self-preservation. See, when people sacrifice themselves for others, we celebrate the individual for putting someone ahead of their own safety. But a life of self-preservation, it won't make us great. In fact, it often leads to selfishness, a total obsession for me and the absence of others' concerns. Do you know anybody like that? Do you, do you even happen to know a culture in our world today whose people think more of themselves than they think of others? Hmm. Let me see if I can name one. See, becoming great demands valuing others more important than self. Listen to Paul. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now, I can tell you this is easier said than done, is it not? I, I mean, remember, we, we're trying to develop servants who embody the Christ-like characteristics of Jesus. Sacrifice, empathy, relationships, values, empowerment. And, and as I read through the Bible, and as I do read through the Bible, I'm often caught by themes which run throughout the text that are part of this radically selfless life. These themes are important and demand a quick look, and we won't have time to get to all of them. So during the time remaining, I, I just want to introduce you to two familiar themes that ask us to capture their essence as we move toward a life of sacrificial living, thinking of others before we think of ourselves. And here's a question I want us to wrestle with as we go through these characteristics. What is the narrative of my life? What's the narrative of my life? Okay, so if you're young out there and just beginning to formulate your life's journey, and if you lack focus or direction, ask yourself, what will be the narrative of my life? You see, I would hope and pray that all of us are thinking deeply of that question, whether we're in our 20s or whether we're in our 80s. 
every day this question ought to be asked before we start our day. What do I want the narrative of my life to be today? In answering this question, it automatically demands a reflection of one's deeper foundational goals, a set of standards by which one lives, does it not? See, if I am aiming for power and prestige and possessions, my foundational goals will be different than if I'm aiming for a self-sacrificing life. And all of us, all of us operate from a foundation. All of us move in a direction of our goals, often unspoken. Sometimes we don't even know what they are. But we are recognized, our, we recognize the goals of a person's life by the fruit of their life, whether it's good or bad. And if we're living life without a foundation of sacrificial resolutions, not really knowing our direction or our focus, we often make decisions in the moment. And we make decisions out of self-desire. And then we wonder why our lives are out of whack. Our lives are out of whack because, because we're guided by a narrative of self-preservation, or it's about me. The question we play over and over in our heads how can I serve me today? How can I serve me today? Okay, let me remind you, this is not about doing. This is about becoming. Doing comes naturally when one's life has a defined narrative, when one knows the way of becoming. And depending on your narrative, we become that which we give our time and talents and treasures. Okay, let me stop there and give the two characteristics of a sacrificial life. But, no, well, first, let, let me begin with an illustration. You know, when one sells their home, there's an inspection performed by the buyer. That inspection tells the current owner what needs to be fixed before the new homeowner takes possession of the property. When the list arrives from the inspector, many of the items shock you as a homeowner. You thought your home was perfect. I mean, you never even noticed many of the problems that are on the list. There are cracks that need to be fixed, faucets not attached properly, sinks that are not holding water. And your job, your job is to make the home complete, make it whole again, restore it to its original condition as best one can. The homeowner is to take that which is broken and fix it before the new owner walks in. Now, remember what we're trying to do. We want to look like the true servant, Jesus. Right, listen to Jesus' words. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. See, if we're going to become great, we must look like our teacher, our master, Jesus Christ. And in an audience like this, <laughs> this should not be a hard ask, right? I mean, this should not get much pushback from anyone. I mean, all of us surely are on board with this being great servants. I mean, sacrificing ourselves for others, thinking of others before we think of ourselves. And you may want to yell and say, hey, we are on board. This is who we are. Lake Homa is a place where great servants serve and where, where we sacrifice for others. Really, James, there's really no need for this sermon series. Well, great. 
Well, just let me close up my Bible and let's just get busy. Okay, sorry. That was probably a little bit snarky there, so please forgive me. I See, I need this next characteristic, the first characteristic of sacrifice in my life. And the first of these is shalom. Shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. But its meaning is much richer. It, it brings a wholeness to that which is broken. Think of shalom as putting the pieces back together in order to restore life as God intended it. It's fixing that for which we did not know was broken. Is this not what Jesus came to this earth to do? To be the Prince of Peace? To bring wholeness to a broken world? And I'm afraid our world is more concerned about self than we are about others. Yeah, I get it. This is, and, and really, it's not a new phenomenon. Many times we just don't see the cracks, the problems with our houses. From generations past, they didn't either. Even the children of Israel in the days of Isaiah were not people of Shalom. They didn't see the cracks that needed to be fixed. Listen to Isaiah speaking the words of God. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Brothers and sisters, our world is broken. And God the Father and God the Son are asking us to be sacrificial servants who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we are to behold the darkness and the gloom and be the light. Like Jesus, who came to proclaim good news to the poor, we do the same. Like Jesus, who was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, we bring shalom to the outcast and the broken. Like Jesus, who brought sight to the blind and set at liberty those who were oppressed, we bring shalom to the sinner and those exiled. Shalom demands sacrificial restoration of a broken and a lost world. Okay, James, that's great, but how do I do that? How do I do that? You do for the one what you wish you could do for the many. Let me say it again. We do for the one what we wish we could do for the many. Begin with one individual, one family. Get engaged with the nonprofit. Do for the one out there and do for the one in our church family. Do for the one outside our faith family and do for the one inside our faith family. Make it your aim this year to bring shalom to the one. Be a part of the restoration and building of God's kingdom by being a sacrificial servant. Okay, here's the second characteristic. Justice. See, justice is about seeking out the vulnerable who have been taken advantage of and taking steps to advocate for them. It is helping change the social structures to prevent future injustices. The Bible would call this restorative justice. I mean, listen again to the words of God. Open your mouth for the mute 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Righteousness is an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. And we are to judge righteously. We're to treat others, all people, red, yellow, black, and white, with dignity and respect. Why? Why? Because all people are made in the image of God. All people are created equal before God. All people have a right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who they are. In other words, we don't categorize people. We don't put them in boxes. As sacrificial servants of Jesus, our vision comes from our Heavenly Father who loved this world. Can we let that sink in for a moment? Our Heavenly Father loves this world. Every person is made in the image of God. Red, yellow, black, and white. Democrat, Republican, Independent, African American, Asian, Caucasian. We are all made in the image of God. And our Father sent His one and only Son to this earth to die for all mankind. Let me say that again. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He sent His Son to this earth to die for all mankind. Now listen to the words of Paul. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that we might create in himself, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Church family, should we not open our arms to the vulnerable? Should we not help the destitute, the poor, and the needy because of what Jesus did for us? Should I not defend the cause of the weak and the burden and the outcast? But as you know, this world does not operate like this. Our nation is in the middle of racial tension, which I have not seen in my lifetime. We, not, not this church, but we as a nation have redefined good and evil to our own advantage and to the expense of others. And Christ is calling us to become sacrificial servants. This is about our hearts and our attitude toward others who do not look like me and who have different customs, a different upbringing, and a different color of skin. I love the book called Same Kind of Different as Me. It's a touching story of a homeless man and the justice which occurs in his life because of one couple. It takes place in Fort Worth, Texas, and it has been made into a movie. And if you have not watched it, you need to find it online and watch it as a family. I mean, this film, listen, this film will do more for you in understanding sacrificial servanthood and the characteristics of shalom and justice than any words 
I could put together in a sermon. It would touch your heart in ways words cannot. And brothers and sisters, one can be the most super spiritual, Bible-reading, church-activity-driven, justice-inspired person, and if we don't treat all people who are closest to us and who are right in front of us with grace and love and consideration, we're like a clanging cymbal, as, as 1 Corinthians says. There's a lot of noise, but there is no love. Now let me remind you of our question today. What is going to be the narrative of our lives? Sacrificial servanthood is not convenient or easy. It is courageously making others' problems my problems. It is loving one's neighbor at the highest level, even when it is not convenient. It is a lifetime commitment fueled by the sacrificial living of Jesus. In the words of Micah 6, verse 8, all right, here's what I want you to do. Say, these, say this verse out loud with me. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Okay, remember, our fear often drives our choices. We often make choices out of self-protection, self-preservation, self-desire. And it will be easy, it will be so easy to forego our calling to become a sacrificial servant. Because instead of moving forward in faith, we often shrink back in fear. Is this not the nature of man to do so? I mean, that's what we do. But listen to these words. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not like those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. We must fight the impulses. We must develop courage. We must put our faith in our Father who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, our Heavenly Father, gives us strength within to face the unknown daily. So, so will we be a church that incorporates sacrificial servanthood into our lives through shalom and justice? Will we be a people known for giving of ourselves? Yeah, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of living. And we know the person who showed us the way. Are we willing to follow him? And he does encourage us to do so. Peace I live, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Brothers and sisters, may God bless you this week as you go out and do for the one what you wish you could do for the many. I love you all. Blessings.